everyone. Welcome to the Awe of God study. I'm so excited that you're sitting there in front of the screen because I know what this has done in my life and I know what's going to do in your life. You know, I look at this and I think it's been a journey for me. It's really a life message for me. It began almost 30 years ago and my life has never been the same since. It has kept me more passionate about Jesus, more passionate about the things of eternity than anything else I could speak of. So before we begin, let me just ask you some questions, some teasers, all right, to kind of give us insight of what's coming. Number one, are you, are you satisfied with how close you are with God, your intimacy level with God? If you're like most of us, including me, no, you want to go deeper. You want to be closer to him. Well, guess what? This course is going to provide the essential agreement to be very close with God. Number two, have you grieved over some of your friends, maybe loved ones, even family members that have walked away from the faith? You know, Barna did an intensive study between 2000 and 2020, and he discovered in his study that over 40 million Americans had walked away from the faith. Now, I'm gonna qualify this. The first group, which was about 20 million, are practicing Christians that are now called non-practicing Christians. What does that mean? They don't pray publicly, they don't gather publicly. If you push them in the corner, they'll still say, I'm a Christian. The second group, 20 million plus, are people that are now professed unbelievers agnostics, and even atheists. Now, this is really alarming. And I know it's affected probably everybody that's listened to me, but the Apostle Paul makes an alarming statement in the book of 2 Thessalonians. And I'm gonna read this out of the Amplified Bible. He said, Jesus' return will not come unless the predicted great falling away of those who have professed to be Christians has come. Yeah, that's scripture. Paul foresaw it. So all of us have been affected by this. Well, what we're going to share in this study will absolutely protect those we love as well as ourselves from being one of those statistics, one of those shipwrecks of the faith. The third thing I want to ask is, this, is there behavior, consistent, repetitive behavior in your life that you always later regret? I'm going to share with you in this study the force that God has given to us, his children, that averts that behavior. You're going to love it. So let's begin. First thing I wanna do is ask you a question. What if I told you of a hidden virtue that in essence is the key to all of life? It unlocks the purpose of your existence. It attracts the presence, protection, and providence of your creator. It is the root of all noble character the foundation of all happiness, and provides the needed adjustments to all inharmonious circumstances you may face. To firmly embrace this virtue will lengthen your life, procure good health, ensure success and safety, eliminate lack, and guarantee a noble legacy. Now, you're probably thinking, that's fiction. There is no such virtue. I assure you, there is. And it was written by one of the wisest men that have ever walked the earth. In fact, not only did he write these words, he was anointed by the creator to write them. And so he begins as a young child, right? And he's raised up by his parents in this virtue. He embraces it and becomes a very wise leader. Eventually, he's ruling millions of people. He was so successful in his leadership the kings and queens would come from all over the world 
just to listen to his wisdom and to see the system that he had set up and the procedures he had set up in his nation. Well, he grew and grew, became so wealthy, the silver was worthless because it was so abundant. Every family in his nation had a home and a garden. There was no poverty. There was no unemployment. There was no welfare. This man was brilliant. But after time, he lost sight of this virtue that got him to where he was. He forsook it and walked away from it. He became wise in his own eyes. And what happened is he, he fell from being a great and wise leader to becoming now a pessimist cynic. Yeah, he wrote a book in this time period of being this cynical person and said, everything's boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. He made statements in this book like, history merely repeats itself and there's nothing new under the sun. What's wrong can't be made right. What's missing cannot be recovered. The day you die is better than the day you're born. Who writes this? But somebody who's become jaded and cynical. Well, the good news is he didn't die in this state. He recovered because at the very end of this book called Ecclesiastes, the book of the cynical outlook on life, he recovers because he says in the very last chapter, seven times in one way or another to remember God. And then the very last verse of this book, he writes, here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. This is everyone's duty. The word duty literally means all, everything, whole, entirety. This is man's all, is to fear God and keep his commandments. So the fear of God is this prized treasure that I'm talking about. If you look at fear, people have been trying to run from fear for years. They've been trying to eradicate it. If you look at FDR, he made the statement, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. If you look at people in the 1980s and 1990s, they were wearing shirts boldly proclaiming no fear. If you look at our platforms and the books that are published, we are constantly trying to eradicate fear. But is this obsession accurate? Yes, there are unhealthy fears. There are people that fear for a lack of finances. So they begin to hoard. They begin to worry over their finances. There are people that fear losing a spouse. So they smother them or they create a behavior that pushes spouses away. But there's not only harmful fears, there's actually beneficial fears. You know, the fear of falling 2,000 feet off of cliff will give you the wisdom to not walk too closely to that cliff. The fear of a grizzly bear will keep you from messing with its cubs. The fear of burning your hand in a 500 degree oven, you'll put some mitts on to protect yourself. But even those fears can go too far because if you fear too much of heights, you'll not get on a plane and enjoy traveling. If you fear too much the mother bear, you may not make the walk in the woods. If you fear too much of burning your hand in a 500 degree oven, you may never have a home cooked meal. The real question is asking, what do we fear the most? This is actually a wise question that if we ask it and we look at it, it will end up producing great, great fruit in our lives. If you look at holy fear, the fear of the Lord of which I spoke about, God says in Isaiah 33 verse six, that it is his treasure. Now I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. And then in Isaiah chapter 11 verse three, it says that the fear of the Lord is Jesus's delight. 
wait a minute, God's treasure and Jesus' delight? If you look at the Apostle Paul, he says that our salvation is matured through fear and trembling. I think we need to stop and take a look at this. I'll never forget, back in 1994, I was just starting to get interested in the fear of the Lord because I saw it so much in Scripture, over 200 references in Scripture on holy fear. And so I'm beginning to study it, but I really don't have that deep understanding of it. And I went to a church conference. It was one of the largest churches in the area. They had a lot of people in that conference that night. I was speaking two nights for them. And I'll never forget, I got up and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, share on it. So I shared on my limited understanding of the fear of the Lord. Well, the next night when I came into the meeting, before the pastor introduced me in the conference for the final night, he said, what John shared last night is error. He said, and I want to protect you from it. He said, as New Testament Christians, we don't need to fear God because perfect love has cast out all fear. He said, fear of God is an Old Testament version. And he went on to share this for several minutes. I'm sitting in the front row, horrified. And I'm like, okay, well, he's not going to introduce me tonight. But to my shock, he introduced me. And I remember as I'm walking up to the platform, I'm, I'm thinking, how in the world can I minister to these people after that? After he just for 10 minutes corrected and said that I spoke error the night before. Well, it wasn't easy. And I pushed through it and preached about a 30-minute message. And I'll never forget going back to my hotel room. And the next morning... I remember going and finding a construction site. Nobody was around and praying and said, God, have I hurt your church? Have I hurt your people? What have I done wrong? Because this pastor was much older than me. I was a young man at this time. And I remember not feeling the correction of the Holy Spirit, but I remember feeling the pleasure of the Holy Spirit. And before too long, I found myself crying out to know the fear of the Lord. Well, that began a journey, a journey in discovering that the fear of the Lord is actually a treasure, a gift, and it helps us in life. You know, the first thing I want to do is to start, and, and let me say this very carefully, to begin to define the fear of the Lord. Now, first thing I need to say is that the fear of God is not to be scared of God. Because God desires a relationship of intimacy with us. And how can we have any kind of an intimate relationship with somebody we're scared of? If you look at Moses, when he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, the first place he wanted to bring them was not the promised land. It was Mount Sinai. That was where the bush was that Moses encountered God. I mean, why does Moses want to bring them from Egypt into a promised land without first bringing them to the promiser? If you bring the people into the promised land before them meeting the promiser, they're going to make the promised land into a place of idolatry. Moses is such an amazing man. I look at his life. Well, first of all, look at the children of Israel. I mean, they're brought up in slums. They are living their lives to build somebody else's inheritance. They have stripes on their backs from whips. They are slave laboring all day. They have their children put to death by the Egyptians, but they come out of Egypt and they're constantly saying, let's go back to Egypt. Moses is living in one of the most beautiful homes on the planet. His grandfather is the richest man in the whole world. Moses comes out and never says, I want to go back to Egypt. Why? Because he had one encounter 
with the one that we all long for. And that one encounter with his presence at that bush caused him to never, ever look back to Egypt. Well, he wants to bring Israel right there to that mountain and meet the same God he met at that bush. And when he brings them out, he has this private meeting with God. In Exodus 19, verses 3 and 4, God says to Moses, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. Now listen to these words, and brought you to myself. The whole purpose for God delivering Israel out of Egypt, which is a type of us today coming out of the world, the world is Egypt, is because he said, I want to bring you to myself. God was so excited to meet these kids. I mean, think about it. For 400 years, they're in slavery, right? And God says, I can't wait to introduce myself to my children, right? He's excited. He's got a father's heart. He's always had a father's heart. But when God comes down on the mountain, his presence on the third day, the people scream and run away. And Moses looks at the people and says to them in Exodus 20:20, and if you want a 2020 vision, here it is. Moses says, "Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin." Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Do not fear because God's come to see if his fear is in you. It sounds like Moses is talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's contradicting himself. No, Moses is simply differentiating between being scared of God and the fear of the Lord. The person that is scared of God has something to hide. Remember, what does Adam do? As soon as he disobeys God in the garden, he hides from the presence of God. The person that fears God has nothing to hide. That person is terrified of being away from God. So if you want the first definition of what the fear of the Lord is, it is to be scared. Let me go further. It is to be terrified of being away from God. Now, let me say this. I'm going to attempt to give you a definition in our remaining time here of what the fear of the Lord is. However, it is absolutely impossible to do so. I can't do it in a lesson. I can't do it in an entire study. I can't even do it in a book. I mean, it would be kind of like saying, I'm going to give you the full definition of the love of God in one lesson. That is impossible, okay? And I have for years heard people say this. I've heard leaders say it. I've heard it in green rooms. I've heard it in restaurants with leaders that the fear of the Lord is only to reverence God. Wait a minute. Whoa. That's like saying the love of God is patient and kind. Okay? That is one of the definitions of the love of God, but that is not the full definition of love. So to say that the fear of the Lord is just reverence is about as silly as saying the love of God is only patient and kind. So let's dive into it. I'm going to give you a scripture in the book of Hebrews that I think is a good one to start out with. And that is Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. I want you to listen. This is New Testament, okay? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. How do we serve God acceptably? With reverence and godly fear. For our God is is a consuming fire. Now, notice he's got two words, reverence and godly fear. He's not just repeating himself. So the fear of God can't just be reverence just by this verse alone. First of all, the word reverence is a very accurate translation. What about godly fear? The word godly fear in the Hebrew literally literally carries the meaning of awe in it. Now, I'm going to give you the definition of awe from the original Noah Webster Dictionary. He defines awe as this, 
fear, dread, inspired by something great and terrific, to strike with fear and reverence, to influence by fear, terror, or respect. Now that, that sounds a little daunting, a little scary. Don't be scared, because remember, the fear of the Lord doesn't repulse us from God. It actually draws us to him. So do not be afraid of what I just said. So let me just rattle off some of the uh, definitions to begin our study. The fear of God, to fear God is to esteem, respect, honor, venerate, revere, be in awe of, and adore him above anything or anyone else. We love what he loves, and we hate what he hates. Now, notice I don't say we dislike what he hates. We hate what he hates. You, you say, God hates? Oh, yeah, God hates. Well, well, this is the reason why I didn't want to hear about the fear of the Lord, because I've seen these religious, legalistic people go, well, I hate those sinners over there. Well, they don't fear God at all, because they hate what he loves. God loves those sinners over there, sir. So that means you have no fear of God because you actually hate what he loves. Now, I will say this. God hates the sin that unmakes those people because God loves people. See, we love what he loves. We hate what he hates. What is important to him becomes important to us. What is not so important to him is not so important to us. So to fear God is to give him the praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and worship that he deserves. Not what we think he deserves, what he deserves. To fear God is to give him all that belongs to him. It is to tremble before him in wonder and awe, to give his word and presence full attention in our lives. To fear God is to obey him. It's not just a desire, but an inward force that determines to carry out his will. The fear of the Lord is to shun any form of complaining, murmuring, or grumbling. The fear of the Lord shapes our intentions and our motives. It works deeply within us, and it also shapes our words, and our actions. Now, let me give you some of the benefits of holy fear because this will really get you excited and this will give you a little taste of what's coming. First of all, and most important benefit of fear, fearing God is it is the key to intimacy with God. Second, it is the beginning of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It gives foresight and clear divine direction. Third, I've already said this, it's how we mature our salvation and are conformed into the image of Jesus. That excites me right there. Number four, it produces true, authentic holiness. And don't let that word scare you. I'll, I'll make that word delightful to you in a, in, 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 a, in a future lesson. All right? It secures eternal legacy. That's a big one. It produces confidence, fearlessness, and security. It swallows, I love this one, it swallows up all other fears, including the fear of man. It gives us identity. It makes us productive and empowers us to multiply. This is all in the Bible, okay? I've found over 40 distinct promises of only those who fear God. Watch this. It provides angelic assistance, fulfilled desires, enduring success, nobility, influence, longevity, productive days. Are you getting excited? These are all promises from your creator. <laughs> I'm getting excited just talking about it. Enjoyment in life. Yes, the person who fears God. Three times in two verses, it says they will have great joy and happiness. Okay? So people that really fear God are happy. They're not grumpy like legalists. Okay? The fear of the Lord endures forever. It will never fade out. Let me tell you, I hope I've whet an appetite in you to continue this study on the holy awe of God. Thank you.
wow, that went by fast. I was like, it's over already? <laughs> we want to just listen to the next session now? <laughs> okay, well, we are 54 minutes into the evening. My goal is that we could cover things and basically be done by 8.30, 8.40. I think I put on our website an hour and 45 minutes. So, yeah, so here we go. The questions that we're going to look at, again, I'll just say we, we don't have to go around the room and give your own personal answer. Some of these questions are going to feel a bit personal. And I, my heart would be that you would take the question and you would just use it as something to reflect on. But if, saying that, if you do feel like, yeah, I want to share something that would really be encouraging or would really be a good um, fit for the question, then just pop your hand up and King David right here, he's got the, the handheld mic and he'll, he'll save me from running around looking like a fool and he'll do it instead. <laughs> it's family, you know, we joke around a lot around, so just, just so you know, I'm not being like rude. To... <laughs> they're, they're used to it. <laughs> I won't do it to you though, I promise. Oh, and I do want to say before we go to, into the questions, so if you don't have a copy of The Awe of God, I would encourage you to get a copy. We do have, I think, if I can count correctly, seven, maybe eight copies over there. Um, we don't sell books at Legacy City Church because we're not a business. However, if you want a copy of the book, we would say a suggested donation. If, if you can, if you can afford it, just pop whatever you can afford in the box. But I would say um, we spent about $12 per book. And, which is a really sweet deal because they came out as hardcover copies that are like 25 originally, and then they came down about 20. And then when I bought them from John Bevere's website, um, there was a discount for buying 10 or more, a 40% discount. So it was like 11.50 a book. So I just want to put that out there. I, if you don't have the book and you really want it and you don't have cash with you, don't worry about it. We would rather you get the tool and grow in this, this um, What's the word? This teaching, but the, this virtue, the, the virtue of the fear of the Lord. Um, I don't know about you guys, I was starting to get a little rocked. And uh, our conversation last night, these guys were like, you know, if you start to feel like the Lord's moving in your heart to cry, let it out. Because everyone knows me, I start coughing and I'll go to another room. I'm like, <laughs> it's just God does that to me. Um, some people laugh, some people cry. I'm a crier, I guess. Thank you, Lord. So let's look at the first question. First question, the fear of God is one of those terms that gets used a lot in church settings, but is rarely defined. In your own words, how would you summarize what you've just been taught about the fear of God? Two questions to ask yourself. What does it mean and what does it not mean? Think about it. I didn't set a timer, but we're going to, you know, no more than five minutes on each one of these. If anyone has some input, just pop your hand up. Even if you two guys want to just give all the input tonight. <laughs> well, the, one of the first things that, that stood out to me was that we're not fearing God like we're afraid of Him. It's more of we're in in reverence of him and that we're af it's we're afraid of being apart from him yeah. 
So we want to be as close as possible. So just that alone really shifted my thinking. It was like, oh, I don't want to be afraid of God. Like, I'm, I mean, yeah, I do want to be, you know, careful how I approach God, but, but to be afraid to be afraid of being apart from Him, really, really changed my perspective in how just I view every area of my life. And then the second part of it that really stood out to me was that by having a fear of that new perspective, the fear of God, it consumes all other fears. And so now there were many things that I had considered that, you know, I'm trying to manage risk here, or I'm afraid of this happening here, or I try to caveat what I'm saying here, and now I'm like, I don't need to fear those things anymore. Awesome. So I grew up in the church, and I don't think I was ever, I've never heard anyone teach on the fear of God like this before, so this is totally new for me. Usually it's just presented, God is a scary, angry father, and we just don't really go there. The fear of God, nobody knows how to define it, because it sounds like it's a contradiction. So it just didn't get defined. And I guess I never was curious, because I was like, well, I don't know if I want to know what it means either. Like, can I even live up to whatever I thought it meant? So, so far already, just in this teaching, it's like taking the lid off of that. And what does the scripture actually say about it? So. That's good. That's good. Anybody else have some thoughts? We have a hand raised. <laughs> Go for it, David. It's not um, fearful of what he's going to do to us right. or what he will take away from us. It's it, In his word, he says, like he said earlier, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And he said anyone that is lacking wisdom, he's got something special for you because he knows each individual, and he knows that um, we have a lot to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. It's just something that's there. The fear of God is also the beginning of knowledge. Yes. We sometimes think we know a lot, but when you come face to face with the presence of God, you realize how little we really know. And you're asking, Lord, I need more. I need your Holy Spirit to lead me, to guide me. Because I, you know, your day-to-day situation, some of it calls just for a regular day, you know, and it's okay. But then you come against people, up to people, and they talk to you about what God didn't do for them because I asked him to do this and that's what I wanted. He didn't answer. But when we stop and we say, God, I need answers, and the only place I can get it is from you. That's good. Awesome. Good, good, good. See, this is going a little bit more. I thought everyone was going to be really quiet with these questions, <laughs> and I'm like, does anybody else want to give some input before I ramble? I have to talk about it. 
I, I was getting rattled a little bit. I, my emotions were struck because when he said, the fear of the Lord is the, calm down. I know you said to just let it go, but I can't right now. I can't. We'll never get through the questions. Tammy will have to take over. You might like that. The, it's the, the fear of being away from him. And like, <laughs> I don't think I could even talk about it. I don't want to be far from God, ever. Like, the moment I start to sense my, my attention, my focus, my, my attitude, whatever, is, is like irreverent. Like, not even, not even considering his presence the reality of my life right now. Um, that just begins to shake me and wake me up to get back. Like to, repentance is a, it's an ongoing thing all day long. It should be for all of us. Like the moment we start veering off, you know, Jesus, the, the word of God says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He rescued me. He saved me and called me to, to lay my life down as a complete living sacrifice to him and to fix my eyes on Jesus. Obviously, we all have begun our journey with that, but there's times where obviously we, we don't 24-7 just focus fully on Jesus. We get busy with the stuff of life, but it's in that busyness, that distractions, and then you know what I'm talking about. I don't need to go into all the details. It's just stuff happens. We have to deal with our flesh. We've got to learn that part too. And that's probably in another section of this. But it just, it rattles me because I, I fear God when I, when I think about how big he is. Like I look at Revelation 1, John saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and in his glory, face shining brighter than the sun, sword coming out of his mouth. And he was so scared, he fell at his feet like he was dead, like he fainted. And Jesus had to pick him up. I mean, that's, that is the fear of the Lord. I've never seen him in his glory. I've seen him in my spirit with, you know, the way he's revealed himself, kind and loving and welcoming home. I've seen him as my king, seen the, you know, different aspects, but I've never had a full-on encounter with him face-to-face where I was completely undone. And I welcome it. I, I want it, so... So anyway, that was my two cents. <laughs> so what does it mean and what does it not mean? I think it's like Bevere said, to fear him is to be afraid of being away from him. Like I want to be close. I want to be near his heart. And what does it not mean? It means like he, he's not holding a stick waiting for you to screw up the first moment and then he's going to whack you and kick you out of his kingdom and you're lost, you know, in and out of salvation. Like, I went through that as a new Christian. I don't know about you guys, as a new Christian. You know, the first time you have a big sin, and you're like, do I need to get saved all over again? And then you're like, okay, am I saved? Am I not saved? Do I need to keep praying the prayer over and over? You know, you see this in churches. The same people come up to altar calls over and over. So we need to rest in our salvation. We need to rest in the finished work of Jesus. But it's in our relationship with him. That's, to me, what it means is... And what it doesn't mean is I've lost my salvation. What it means is I'm saved and he's calling me closer. Yeah, like near to be following, obedient, because he has my good in mind. 
You guys ready to go on to the next one? Okay. I promise I won't ramble that much for each one, but I just, that was the thing that got me in the, in the video. So at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon sums up the wisdom of his experience by saying, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. So how would you describe the connection between fearing God and obeying God? Ponder it. If you want to give some thoughts. The man here's got the mic. I think what I just shared was kind of my answer to that. So the connection, how would you describe the connection between fearing God and obeying God? For me, I would describe it as because I don't want to be away from him, that I'm going to obey quickly. So, yeah. Good. That's, that's good. We don't have to go long on each one of these. We already went over five minutes on the first one, so now we have to compensate. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you have something, go for it. You guys, too, if you have something, just Dave will come over there. We good? Okay. If you want to think about it, take screenshots. I don't care. You're welcome to do that. Okay, so the next question. <clears throat> Look again at Hebrews 12, 28 to 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I almost feel like that verse needs to have like a speaker attached to it and blasting it. For our God is a consuming fire. I mean, just, that's not, those aren't soft, gentle words there. A consuming fire. So how does the fear of God lead to worship and vice versa? According to that verse, James, you have a thought on that one? I'll run the mic over to him if he does. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm just, yeah. it's, it's good. These are good questions. Like for me, I think it's the only proper response. If the fire of God manifested, if we saw a pillar of fire fill this room in front of us, I would be on my face you think I cry occasionally, I would be probably wailing like Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen. <laughs> I get so emotional sometimes. Okay. I'd encourage you guys with me. Let's just welcome him to, to tenderize our hearts. <laughs> I don't know about you, this is a side note, but I go through these seasons where God will start doing something new and I'm like emotional a lot. It's not because of my estrogen levels getting high. It's, it's, like, it's like the things of God I respond differently to. It's, I get more like there's a deeper part of me that's responding. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. Welcome it though. Welcome him to 
He wants to soften. The only way he can shape us and mold us into the likeness of Jesus is if he softens the clay of our heart. And we need to be moldable. We can't be hard-hearted. Anyone have a thought before I go on to the next one? Oh, we got one. So if we're part of the kingdom, we are, our salvation is that part of God's with us, can't be shaken. So we can trust him to be that all-consuming fire, to bring those impurities to the surface that we don't want to see, that don't reflect him. And we can trust in him and have the fear of God and not the fear of man, or even the fear of our lack. So I think that's where that could lead us into worship of God because we can trust him that his all-consuming fire is actually because of his love for his creation mm-hmm. and that desire for relationship. Awesome. Good. good. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's something about God wooing you into that place of laid down surrender before him where I think he loves it because we're opening our hearts to him and we're saying, come and have your way in me. Like, I'm yours. Like Sunday, I was saying, prune away. <laughs> Come and prune. I know it's uncomfortable to be pruned. I know it's uncomfortable for the fire of God to bring the gunk inside of me or inside of you up to the surface. But it's good, and he does it for our good because he loves us. It's like, I think we got to keep in mind he does it because he loves us because he has our best intentions in mind. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, lady. She's my aunt, so I can say that. We got to rec- we're recording everything to say. Well, we realize that we are so inferior to God. We, he shows us our um, our all of our weaknesses. We see them, but He's not there to judge us. He doesn't do that. He loves us through these things. And he wants us to realize that, like you said, that we have to lay our lives, surrender our lives to him, because without doing so, we will never see his glory. Moses, no, it wasn't Moses, it was Abraham, wasn't it, that said, I want to see your glory, it was Moses. Moses, yeah. Mighty Mo. First time. <laughs> but God showed him, and then the people saw the residue on his face. And that's what we want. Maybe not to have our faces shining. Oh, why not? Why not? (laughs) (laughs) But having that reverence and not realizing what's happening to us until somebody brings it up. But he loves us so much and he wants, he wants our reverence. Yeah. And he brings us to that place, and then we begin to worship. That's good. Awesome. I don't know, Tal's thinking away over there. She's like, ah, oh, I could just like write a book on all the thoughts right now. <laughs> well, if you guys want me to move on, I'll go on. To, we're doing really good, so, so let's don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> this is how, so we've done a lot of classes on these Wednesday nights over the last two years now in this space. Lots of classes, like prophetic, healing, whatever. And uh, yeah, we start doing really good and then this happens, I start talking. So, <laughs> okay, next question. 
The key idea in this study is that holy fear, or what we might call the awe of God, is an incredibly powerful force for good in our lives. When you have experienced, oh, excuse me, when, this is a question, when have you experienced benefit or blessing because you chose to fear God? So, for myself, I guess I would say, um, there's, when God has asked me to do something, and maybe I don't want to do it right away, but I know he's asking me to do that thing, that I know that if I, if I continually say no, I'm not going to be obedient to doing that. But when I do step that out in obedience, I do begin to realize, like, I'm growing in that place that he's put me. For instance, like, even since we've been coming to uh, LTC, which is now just over a year, like, I've had opportunities to get up and speak in front of this congregation in different ways. And that was partly out of, you know, being respond, responding to the Holy Spirit, and then but also being obedient to what He's asking me to do. Yeah. And so by doing that, I've grown even more than I than I would have if I had not stepped out. Cool. And then in other areas of my life, like He's asked us to do things like outside of the the church environment, and. I determined that I, I need to follow through on what he's asking me to do, no matter how insurmountable it looks. And so by stepping out on that, I, I'm growing, like I, I'm finding the skills that I need to accomplish those things. Yeah. But at the same time too, like I'm, because of this, this concept of fearing God, I'm, those things that looked insurmountable or looked like huge mountains, are not so huge anymore because I'm not supposed to be fearing those things. I'm supposed to be in the fear of God. Yeah. And so I find myself becoming more and more reliant on God for, okay, God, you want me to do this thing. I don't know how to do it, so I need you to tell me what to do or how to do it. So I guess that's another benefit. It's like it's also been teaching me to be more reliant on him for the things and the wisdom that I need to to do the things that he's asked me to do. That's really yeah. good. So that's one benefit. There's a lot of benefits. A lot of benefits, yeah. 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 I'll spare you guys and not go down my big list, but <laughs> the one thing I could even begin with is when my life with Jesus began. Yeah. Like, when have you experienced benefit or blessing because you chose to fear God? <clears throat> well, I didn't have a near-death experience where I was like, God, save me. I don't want to go to hell. But he, in his way, confronted me. And you got, most of you guys in the room have heard my testimony. You know, I was a little metalhead in the 80s, loved drugs, loved to do whatever I wanted to do. 
pleasures of the flesh. You know, sin was my, that was my God. Well, I was my own God and I loved whatever. And, and I had a vow at one point in my life that, you know, whatever I want to do, if anyone tells me I shouldn't do that, like that's my enemy. Like anyone who says to me, thou shalt not, that's like my, that was my enemy at the time. And so when God came crashing in and made my heart know and realize that he's real, there was a, a fear, not even a fear, I, I, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but I think, you know, the Bible says that it's the, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So he came to me in his kindness, as messed up as a person I was, and he opened up my eyes to, to realize I needed him. And it was in that place of surrendering my life to him for the first time that I knew that I needed to turn away from all of that stuff, not understanding how it would fully happen because you know I knew who I was. And I'm gonna just say yes to him. And the benefit, I'm standing here today. And I have, I think, the most beautiful wife in the world. And I have, five awesome children. I have parents that loved me and prayed for me and, you know, it's just so many things. I mean, I went from darkness to light, from death to life. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I could just go on and on, all the way up to the planting of this church. I mean, it was all because he was pulling, he was drawing. And the, the benefits... The benefit of saying yes to him to plant this church when there's been many times where it didn't look look very questionable is it gonna survive is it gonna be fruitful is it just gonna dwindle down to Tammy and I showing up here thank you guys by the way for being here <laughs> but it's not because of who shows up or who doesn't show up it's because he told us to do it and so the benefit of being obedient to him and and staying holding fast to the call until he says to do something else. The benefit is, I mean, being with you guys, having a place to experience his presence easily. Like, anyway, I could go on and on. I'm thankful. Thankfulness is, is one of the big benefits because when we lose our thankfulness and we become ungrateful and <laughs> ungrateful and overfed, it just doesn't look good. Yeah. It doesn't look good. Thankful people shine. So rejoice. Give thanks, you guys. Okay, let's go on to the next one. This is the final question, too. We're doing really good, so I'm going to just push this last one through. Think back to your first encounters with God and your earliest memories with Him, of meeting Him. I just did that. What emotions were most prominent in those encounters? What thoughts or feelings were most prevalent in those experiences? This is important, I think, to reflect back to your first love with the Lord when He first came into your life, to go back, maybe recapture something from that time. If anyone, oh, we got a, a towel hand over here. Awesome. I remember the joy. Um, I had this crazy, unspeakable joy 
uh, living on the streets homeless with a baby oh and the cold, pushing a stroller. And I met him, um, you know, wow. I met him, well, on the stage at an altar call with youth of talking about hell. Gave my life to God and then ended up homeless on the streets of Virginia with the babies, walking on the freeway, living on the shelter, and they put you out on the streets during the day. But I was, I, but I was so excited about this relationship with God, and I was so excited, like there was this joy, and I was just on the streets telling everybody about Jesus, and I was homeless. <laughs> wow, an evangelist. So I remember that amazing joy, and my, there was nothing that could take my joy away. Like, I was like, you think about it, it was a horrific situation, they would think, and didn't know how I was gonna get back to Washington, but there was this joy. And and I, the positive thoughts, you know how the words said things on lovely things or anything praiseworthy or excellent, like that word like just stuck with me and there was this amazing joy. Awesome. So thinking about that, like how many years later, or 30 years later, like I can still have that joy, you know? Just something about that first encounter, right? Mm. Wow, <laughs> awesome. Just hearing you talk about that made me remember how I had no fear. Like, I was ready to go to Africa if God wanted me to. I was ready to die. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll die for you. And I was only 21. Now, I don't know if that's changed. I'll talk to the Lord about it. You guys, just mind your own business. It's between me and him. Anybody else want to throw something in there before we go into the, uh, this would be our response time? Thoughts or feelings that were most prevalent? There's probably so many things. You look so happy over there. You got something that's burning? Did you say no? Or, um, David's coming. That's cool, yeah. That's good. Keep thinking on it. Like, just go, go back to that time. Are you, are, are you going to start crying? Because I might. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My eyes are sweating. That's what we, one of our children would say that. Yeah. My eyes are sweating. I just remember, because um, I was in junior high, 
and I grew up in the church as well and always just like I love the church like that has always just been my passion is the church and I just remember getting to this point where um, God was like are you gonna follow me or are you just gonna live like a mediocre life and I remember being like yeah, I'm not living that because that's just boring. So <laughs> I saw too much fun stuff in the church. So I was like, I'm going there. <laughs> and just realizing like this could cost friendships, which it did eventually because my best friend went her way and I went my way, but we reconnected over the years. But um, And just <laughs> not being able to get enough of him. I remember when I moved over to Seattle, um, I could just spend hours just worshiping him and time would just get away. Just <laughs> worshiping him and reading and just like totally getting lost. And just the fruit of that, the one morning I was living at my grandparents' house and my grandfather said, I heard something last night and I thought someone broke in the house. And he's like, or that music was on or something. I kept hearing this worship. And he's like, I went to your room and cracked the door open quietly. It was you. You were sleeping and you were worshiping while you were sleeping. Wow. And it just, because that just was my life, was I just felt like, oh, give me more, give me more. And obviously when you get married and have kids, you know, you can't spend three, four hours just hidden away in your bedroom. So, but, uh, <laughs> but just that. I think it's good to, definitely good to reflect back and just remember like that hunger that we first had and, and just getting that again, like mm. more, Father, more, like, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. That's good. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know, I'm giving it to you. Awesome. Well, this is good stuff. This is good hearing. Yeah. Even for some of us who haven't shared, I, I know, it, I know you're like, yeah, I remember that time. It's changed our lives forever. We're, I'm, we're, you're never going to be the same, Wendy. <laughs> I don't even know you, but you're never going to... All of us, Dad, you're never going to be the same. Yeah. So, you know, you had your chance. Might as well just keep going. All right, there you go. All right, so here's the, the response time, and then this is going to be pretty easy. I'm going to read a scripture here. So when... When God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, he did not immediately lead them into the promised land. Instead, he led them to Mount Sinai so they could experience him. So here's those scriptures. It's Exodus 19 and Exodus 20. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Just imagine. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. I hope I can watch the DVD when I get to heaven. I want to see this. 
So chapter 20, 18 to 21, it continues, When the people saw the thunder and lightning, and heard the trumpet, and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. I think they were getting it. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. intense. So we're going to just ponder a couple questions here. The first one is, how do these passages add to your understanding of what it means to fear God? So just ponder it. We won't do like uh, pass the mic around for this part. So what does the Word of God do in you and for you to add to your understanding of what it means to fear God? And secondly, what are some ways that the fear of God will keep us from sinning? I don't know about you guys. I know the, the temptation would be, well, I don't want to sin because I don't want to make him angry and make him punish me because if he's that scary, big, and, you know, shaking mountain, smoke, fire. He's going to destroy me. So there's that tendency. But, but we also know that the heart of God is that he would reveal himself to us so that we would come near to him. And that the fear of knowing how great and mighty he really is, that in itself would keep us from doing stupid stuff sinning so I don't know let's um, let's wrestle with it oh and I, I want to say this too um, in regards to the book if you have a copy of the book or if you need one I don't remember if you did you hear what I was saying about the book okay so if you need a copy of the book um, get one the way this course is supposed to go is that we would be um, it's not a chapter it's like the one it's like a one-week section with day, one day at a time, um, basically like a devotional that you can go through. Um, the, the goal would be that we come next week with the second chapter, the second section read up. So if you can, if you can get to it. Also, um, there is... So you can, if you want to do this, you can get this book. This is the Supplemental Study Guide. Um, you don't need to. What I'm going to do is, th there's these three things that, that are supposed to happen or are an option for you and I to step into over the next week before we come together on Wednesday for the second session. It's one day with five questions, something about the number five with John Bevere, I think. Um, five questions. So you have day one, it would be, what is holy fear? And there's a little thing to read and some questions. Then the day two or the second, whenever you choose to do it in the seven-day period. Um, God's tangible presence. And then some questions to answer. And then the glory of God. Really good supplemental stuff. Why don't we do this? Why don't we stand up? Um, 
I want to offer tonight, you know, if I don't know where everybody's at in the room with all of this, with life in general, you know, we, we don't always go on a deep connect with everyone in the room. Um, it's not necessary to happen, but you know, if, if you are in a place tonight where you just need your spiritual family to get around you and just encourage and bless, not maybe not even pray words, just a hand on your shoulder. If you want that, I'm just going to say tonight, we're going to open that up tonight. And I also want to make an opportunity. If you want to take communion tonight while we have this last worship song, we're going to spend about five minutes in worship. So if you want to take communion, um, raise your hand and I'll bring this over to you. If, if you want prayer while we're worshiping, um, we're just going to, Tammy and I are going to invite you to come on. Just All you got to do is come stand up here. That way we'll know you want prayer. And if you want to take communion while we're praying for you, um, that's up to you. If you want to take it whenever you feel like taking it, that's, that's fine. You know, there's no rule tonight on how this works. Um, but we just, we just want to stand with, with our family. We want to stand with you as our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We just want to stand together. The, the Bible tells us to, to strengthen the weak hands and feeble knees. You know, we need to stand with one another, impart grace and encouragement all the more as we see the day approaching, the day of the Lord. So if you got your communion ready, you can hang on to it. Um, Let's just pray. Can we pray? And if you want to come up to the front, just go ahead and come up. And Tammy and I, uh, maybe David and Cara will help us if, if it's more than one person. Um, yeah. So Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that even though you are majestic, you are the mighty God, you are the eternal one, you are the king of the angel armies, the commander of heaven's hosts. You are the all-consuming fire. You are creator God. Your presence fills the universe. There's nothing that can be hidden from you, God. You are, you are beyond our comprehension. And even though you are so mighty and awesome, you chose to reach out to us, your creation. You chose to, to breathe life and hope and purpose. And not only that, God, you're so faithful to restore us. When, when things fall apart, you're such a good restorer. You fix broken things, and you undo the things that are messed up, and you redo them. So we just thank you, Lord. We thank you tonight. God, we just lift up our hearts. Just lift up your heart to him right now. We lift up our hearts to our lives. We worship you, Jesus. We just say you're faithful. You're wonderful. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness and your great love, your unfailing love.